Alright, alright. Welcome to Drop Pass, bud. 29th episode underway and year 2022 already started. And what better way to start of the year than by revealing each NHL organization's New Year's resolutions or wishes, however you want to perceive it. Last week, I made a poll regarding the most recent episode since the U20 World Junior Championships got cancelled and I had already made the episode when it was announced so you wanted me to post that and I granted your wishes on the New Year's Eve. Some of you haven't probably listened to that episode yet so even though as of now we won't be able to see those young talents in action you can go and see what my predictions were before the tourney started and who I thought would have wrecked the most havoc amongst the best of the age group. It's very disappointing to see the tournament ending like that, but many, me included, were wary about the outcome, but the big heads in the IIHF didn't seem to care until the whole fiasco fell through the roof. A total clown show on their part, and slowly they are taking away the most anticipated competitions from us one by one, so with this pace we are likely never going to see the end of the regular season and probably also the NHL will announce the new Stanley Cup champion by counting the point averages, decreasing the possible winners to top 8 teams and doing a Stanley Cup lottery for the first time in history. Like, at this point, nothing would surprise me anymore. So definitely not a strong start to the year by any stretch of the imagination, but this is the current climate we live in and we seemingly just have to accept it. Players are moving from protocols to taxi squads back to the lineup like average Joes to brothels in the 1970s and breathing through your mouth will force you to 10-day quarantine at the moment. At least the NHL hasn't sank as deep as the Finnish Liga where the teams are loaning surplus players to other teams with game-specific contracts. And they might be even facing these guys the same night, so talk about jokes, man. I mean, even though this isn't a full-on disaster, at this point you just have to laugh at the situation since you can sense the forceful strategies that leaks are imposing. And at least in my mind, they are trying to get through this, even though all the restrictions don't even make that much sense. Of course, the safety is a priority, I won't argue with that, but when you know that the teams are trying to stretch each penny out of your pocket, it crosses greatly with this argument, quite literally. After all, these are companies focusing on profits and that's a hard, cold fact, however you want to see the situation. But regardless... At the same time, I'm quite eager to see what they come up with next since the Olympics were cancelled for the NHL players. Same thing happened with the U20 championships regarding the prospects. And the All-Star weekend will be next inside the guillotine. So if you would like to win some dough, I would greatly advise you to bet against that event happening in Vegas during the first weekend in February. Because so far, all the clues point towards a hard stop when it comes to any major public event. And nothing but that weekend is more made for the fans, so I'm extremely interested to see if the league has guts to make that happen, 
Or do they just bow out and create some kind of remote fan mascot conference via Zoom during that weekend? Starring, of course, the NHL's best mascot. No, not Gary B, but Philadelphia's own Gritty. We'll see what happens, but I think I've jawed enough to proceed with this episode, so let's head to see what we have in store this week. Without further ado, let's get going. Mm-mm-mm. Bit of a long intro, but with these most recent letdowns, I just had to get them off my chest, but now that that's done, let me tell you what we got in store in the next coming weeks, as well as in this specific episode. This week, the plot will follow the NHL as I announced myself made New Year's resolutions for each organization, with short explanations, as I mentioned already, but when it comes to future episodes, one thing that's certain is that you better be prepared to see some MMA coverage since we have extremely exciting spring coming up in the UFC and we are without a doubt going to highlight the most anticipated fight cards starting from the 22nd of January. That weekend will pretty much set the pace for the remainder of the year as the current dominant heavyweights Cyril Gane and Francis Ngannou will face up against each other in Honda Center, Anaheim, California, for the world heavyweight title. Alongside that heavyweight title fight, Davison Figueiredo and Brandon Moreno will run it back for the third time in their history for the flyweight gold, and in addition to those matchups, one of my favorite fighters, Rodolfo Vieira, will step into the octagon once again And I hope that he will finally take a step closer to the top 15 with a win over Wellington Turman on the 22nd. That card won't be as stacked as some of the later ones, but the gunpowder is surely loaded regarding the big, big fights. And for example, some intriguing names such as Movsar Evloyev and Said Nurmagomedov will make their way to the octagon as well, so without a doubt, it will be an exciting card once again. When it comes to other main events, these are the ones you need to write down to your notebooks, because these are the ones you don't certainly want to miss. On February 13th, in the UFC 271, Robert Whittaker and Israel Adesanya will go at it for the second time, and just two weeks later, Benel Dariush and Islam Mahachev will decide the winner in the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mahachev will step right into the deep waters, but the way he's been working his opponents, this was inevitable and quite honestly, very well deserved. UFC 272 on March 3rd headlines two title fights, the rematch between Aljamain Sterling and Peter Jan, and the third bout between Alex Volkanovski and Max Holloway for the featherweight gold. Currently, the last booked fight for the spring is Jan Blahovic versus Alexander Rakic in the end of March, but these rosters are not fully cemented, and some big names could be added if Dana White decides to bring the heat during the spring. In addition to those, since some of the brightest stars from the past seven years are slowly starting to fade into existence, there are many intriguing matchups that could co-headline these major events and as a taster, 
let me show you few that would make a lot of sense, at least to me. Well, first of all, we have probably the two biggest names in the sport, John Jones and Conor McGregor, who both have ended up in a downward spiral as of late, but seemingly both guys are still keen on fighting against the best in the sport. For many, the obvious opponent for Jones would be either the current heavyweight champ Francis Ngannou or the challenger Cyril Gane, and I have to admit that once we see who comes on top from their bout, would suit perfectly as the next opponent for the youngest champ in the UFC history. And when Izzy lost to Jan last year, the conversation surrounding the superfight between Adesanya and Jones died down a bit. So until he makes his real impact in the light heavyweight division, I wouldn't necessarily point him out as a likely opponent for Bones. But all in all, in order to set up any of these fights, Jones needs to keep himself on the straight path to be eligible for the fight, but those two names would make the most sense to me without a doubt. When it comes to Connor, there are a few names that stand out to me from the rest, and even how badly I would like to say Nate Diaz's name, I need to digress from that idea and point out the other name that would make much more sense to me, since those guys have already banged heads numerous times in the past, and I see that more like a legacy fight than anything else. So not impossible, but a fight against Tony Ferguson would make more sense to me since both guys were on top of the division for many, many years. But very recently, both have suffered defeats and fell down the rankings. So to me, it would make sense to put these two guys in the octagon at some point. The last name I want to point out is the BMF title holder Jorge Masvidal, who pretty much belongs to the same category as these guys mentioned previously. So if I would anticipate a fight for either of the sports legends, these would be the names that I would anticipate seeing if Dana wants to make some serious dough. While speaking of legacy fights, there is a certain one in the makings in the Bantamweight division as both former champs Dominic Cruz and Jose Aldo are closing on to the finish line and for many it would make sense as they prepare for the last wars in the octagon. Both are certain Hall of Famers, so it would be a massive show of respect for both guys, as well as a great way to point out few of the biggest names in the sport from the past 10 years. Full-on professionals, and hopefully this could at least be the last fight for both of them, if otherwise their paths don't cross on their way to retirement. Lastly, I want to point out two quite obvious names that are certainly going to take their runs at the gold this year, and those names are Islam Mahachev and Hamzad Zhimaev. Surefire title contenders already this year, and the current champs Charles Oliveira and Kamaru Usman will have real challenges in front of them, trying to retain their titles when facing these two ruthless scrappers. But like I said, very, very exciting spring coming up for UFC fans, but we will have to hold at least until next week for the first breakthrough, because this week will be fully dedicated to the NHL. And also, before we move to the NHL coverage, I need to mention that I ain't going to leave the Champions League out hanging either. Don't you worry, 
We are going to check the round of 16 matchups once we get closer to the start of February. So just hold on. I got that on my short list as well. But now we will start with the most recent headlines surrounding the NHL and move smoothly to the main topic. And don't worry, this episode from this point on will be softened with some light humor. So don't expect to be bombarded with various stats and advanced analytics. I guarantee you that this is not going to be that type of episode. So just relax and prepare yourself for some lazy ass one-liners, which are going to force you to ask yourself, why the f am I listening to this type of nonsense? But I will answer to that on your behalf because that's exactly why you came here. So as said, let's move on to see what has happened in North America during the last couple of weeks. Okay, so what has happened? Well, I would say quite a lot since I last time spoke about the current events, so let's track back a bit. The big highlight probably is the downfall of the Edmonton Oilers since after starting the season off with a 9-on-1 record, they've fallen down to the 8th spot in the conference and their main rival Calgary has struggled as well in the meantime, but not to the level of the Oilers have done. The same carousel keeps on spinning year after year and I pointed out the goaltending issue in the season previews and how Smith's contract was a huge gamble after his previous season. Well so far that has backfired tremendously with his injury and miserable numbers and even though Mikko Koskinen has been forced to the eye of the storm he had a good point in his statement that unfortunately he can't score the goals for his team. He hasn't been good either, but the real concern for the Oilers has been alongside their goaltending, the depth scoring and defense. And like I said, sounds like we've heard this story once or twice before. Leon and Connor have slowed down a bit from the explosive start. And currently it seems as something needs to happen if they want to advance to the playoffs in the late spring. And for sure... It's not a coaching change. Vancouver has found their footing after hiring Bruce Boudreau as their new head coach. And Vegas has claimed the top spot in the West as I anticipated once they recovered from their injuries. And Colorado as well has gotten its engine going and looking more and more dangerous each night while they climb towards the top spots in the conference. I don't know what Bruce has fed to these guys to get them going the way he has done but... It is really starting to look like the team is trying to make its way back to the playoff conversation, which I won't complain as it would benefit my preseason predictions. Long road still ahead, so we have to keep our cool, but it's good to see the team starting to find their form after such a horrific start to the season. In the East, the usual suspects man the top spots, but I have to tip my cap to the Penguins organization. Since after the short struggle they blasted their way to the top 8 and are currently rolling on a 10 game winning streak so I have to start rounding out my words which I said before the season started. Gino hasn't even made his comeback yet and the big issue in net has proved to be their strength so far so hopefully Jari keeps his level while the cohesive penguin unit keeps on going and proving me that you should never doubt Sid and the company. 
Detroit has slowly started to fall down the standings, while the Islanders and the Flyers are still surging through the downstairs for some leftovers from rest of the teams. Isles have found some kind of form as of late, but the Philly squad is nowhere near the expectations many had before heading into the season. I wouldn't say that it would be impossible for the Isles to get into the playoffs, but when seeing the pedigree of the other teams in the conference, they would need a St. Louis Blues type of comeback to even achieve a wild card spot. Still, plenty of games remaining, and the good thing for them is that it is as unpredictable as ever, so that should keep up some kind of morale in the locker room, but we'll see what happens. Lastly, this year's winter classic between Mini and St. Louis was also a very successful event, even with the harsh weather conditions. On a personal level, once again, the great aid is still unstoppable. Tukarask is bound for his comeback to Bruins uniform. Evan Rodriguez is playing out of his skates. Jose Saros, Igor Sesjerkin, Tristan Jerry and Jack Campbell will fight for the Vesna, which quite honestly currently looks like Sesjerkin's to lose. And the blockbuster trade happened on January 5th when the Penguins traded depth option Sam Lafferty to the Blackhawks in exchange for Swedish first-round pick Alex Nylander. I don't have much to say about this deal since, even though I've been hopeful with Nylander and expecting him to make his breakthrough into the NHL for a couple of years now, he has disappointed me time after time, so this time I will just see what's going to happen and wait for the results without any bigger expectations. Kale McCarr executed a perfect Rottweiler on a leash move on Kirby Duck and finished it with a gorgeous backhand on Flower this week. Nico Mikkola asserted his alpha male status against Sidney Crosby. Gooch came back from his injury, filled the hot dog, dropped the gloves and dominated Ryan Lindgren. Zach Whitecloud has silently become one of the best defensive D-men in the league. Highly anticipated wild prospects Matthew Boldy and Marco Rossi made their debuts this week and Boldy was even able to score his first goal against his hometown Bruins. Anton Hudobin and James Neal found themselves from the minors and Trevor Zegres executed a beautiful lacrosse assist to a goal that you've probably at this point seen at least 100 times since it happened and it ended up riling up dinosaur John Tortorella so... All is good in the NHL front when it comes to actual on-ice action. Oh yeah, and the Sharks announced that they were going to terminate Evander Kane's contract as I had predicted, so no biggie. When it comes to surprises in the scoring table, the few names that pop out are Chandler Stevenson with 35 points through 36 games, Jesper Brad with 32 in 34 contests, Mikael Granlund with 31 in 33, Evan Rodriguez with 30 points through 33 games, and lastly, Ryan Hartman and Ivan Barbashev with 28 points in 32 and 34 games. Sonny Milano is also having a career year in Anaheim with 23 points in 31 games, so a small notch to that guy in the top 100 is very well deserved. I probably already forgot some of the actions that happened during the end part of the 2021, but because of all the holidays and constant protocol entry news, they probably slipped through my fingers, so 
please forgive me for my sins. With the most essential details presented, I think we move on to the last part of the episode, as I tell you the wishes for each team for the upcoming year 2022. So, let's begin. Starting off with the Ducks, and I guess with the way they've been operating this year, their hope for the upcoming year is to keep jogging along, as they've done so far since the youth is coming up nicely in the minors and the juniors, so there's no need to hurry on that front. They should start to focus on the short-term future since their core is starting to age and players such as Brian Getzlaff, Cam Fowler, Josh Manson and Adam Hendrick are starting to approach the end part of their careers, so a subtle de-aging of their core might be on the cards maybe already next summer. The Young Bucks, Jamie Drysdale, Trevor Zegres, Jacob Perrault, Mason McTavish, Maxim Comtois, Braden Tracy, Jessica Stujav, Olin Zellweger, Henry Thrun, Jackson Lacombe, and Coltender Lucas Dostal comprise a nice solid frame for the future, but until all these prospects make their way to the bright lights, there needs to be a veteran group in place that guides them through the tough slopes of the NHL, and the question is, is this the core that is able to do that while keeping the competitive level high? The future for sure looks bright for them, and John Gibson is a big asset in goal, but some kind of evaluation needs to be in place for this team, since like I said, the core is aging, and some of the prospects have taken huge leaps in their development this year, so they need to decide on their projection heading into their next season. So to put it shortly, selecting their course for the next few seasons is a critical part of their operations next summer. Let's head to Arizona. Well, when it comes to Yotes, the only thing that they can hope for is the best possible luck for the next summer's draft lottery, plain and simple. You know, this year they got nothing to lose and it shows in their performances and even though there has been lots of rumors surrounding their top D-man Jacob Chikrin, for some odd reason I just don't buy the idea of dealing him away if the city wants to keep the team in place and also his value has dropped since last year so to me it just doesn't make sense. Maybe if he could fetch like Rihanna and Beyonce in that deal I wouldn't question it but seemingly the asking price has been way too high regarding his current value so it just seems as they want to kick up some dust before their fire sale on the deadline. It will be interesting to see who they end up dealing away from Arizona and especially what they are able to get in return cause they got a boatload of picks so they should use them wisely now that they've decided to go full on rebuild mode. It's been a miserable season for them even though there were no expectations but if you are finally able to claim your first two goal lead in the whole season during January it should tell you that there ain't too much effort in that locker room, to say the least. Tough for many players to be in that situation, but the team has announced its direction and hopefully they are able to execute that process. Because so far, those efforts have fallen on their faces and the fans can only hope that this is the time that they can actually get back to their feet and become competitive again in next five years. 
So doing everything in their power in order to claim Shane Wright is their aim for the rest of the year. Then we have the Bruins. What could you hope for? It should be pretty straightforward that the first line which was parted last week finds chemistry again and starts producing the way they are expected to while their depth scoring adds some offensive numbers on the table as well since that has been their biggest issue since the start of the season. Tukarask is close to his comeback to a bare jersey so another wish would be that the former Vesna winner would take the starting spot even though both of their netminders have improved their numbers from the start but what Rask could bring to the table is far beyond what Swayman and Ulmark bring at this point. I have my doubts and I especially anticipate that he will take more time to get back to his level than we think. So please Bees fans, be merciful for him and hopefully he adds an additional element to their roster that will boost the overall morale of the team. So two things for this year. First, get Rask back to his former level and second, come up with a way to get Depp more involved in scoring since it is really lacking. And if that doesn't happen, you might have to figure out a way to make some changes for the next season since Bergey and March ain't getting any younger and you need those guys to push for the playoffs next year as well. Let's head to Buffalo to see what they got in store for us. Well, well, here we are once again, trying to figure out what the fuck the Sabres should do. I mean, I have to say that their depth chart looks quite promising even though you lost Jack Eichel this year, but there seems to be a plethora of good upcoming prospects arriving to the league in just a couple of years. But as I say that, I remember that you still have like 14 years left of Jeff Skinner's 9 million contract and how you've been able to screw the development of many prospects in the past couple of years with your actions. So I really don't know what to think of this situation. Also, they got their own first round pick for this upcoming draft and two conditional which seem end up being 2022 picks outside of the top 10. So they could be used as assets if they want to climb the draft board. On paper, as I said, they look strong for the future and all bases seem pretty well covered with names like Middlestad, Cousins, Krebs, Weibach, Poltapov, Kisakov, Tuck, Thompson, Quinn, Peterka, Rosen, Samuelson, Power, Johnson, and goaltenders Lukkonen, Levi, and Portillo which seems to be the best trio in the entire league when it comes to future top goalies. Add to that Rasmus Dahlin, who has looked iffy to say the least, but still he possesses extreme amount of skill and you pretty much have the puzzle ready to be assembled in the right hands. You shouldn't be able to screw this up if you ask me, since if you feel like some of the guys won't pan out in the long run, you still have time to use them as trade baits and gather good players in exchange if you want to choose that approach. But since we are talking about the Sabres, I wouldn't count on that not happening. When it comes to resolution, I would say that the best thing for you would be to promise to not fuck up this situation. Since you have now sacrificed years upon years to this rebuild, 
and it is finally time to show some actual kinetic results from this process because like I said the future core really is there. It would have been beneficial to keep Eichel as your number one center but he got fed up with this pocket pool so he packed his bags but maybe you could fetch for example one of the top forwards in the first round or use that to add a right-handed force to your blue line since currently it is quite left-hand heavy not counting Henry Jokiharju. Yeah, but that would be cool to see for change, so we'll see if they can accomplish that. Fingers crossed. For Calgary, I would say the biggest thing would be a playoff success, and it really ain't even that hard of a question to answer. Maybe Giordano could be persuaded back in Calgary while Seattle retains some of his salary, because he won't be staying there until the end of the season. Goaltending has been strong and the top lines have produced, so the defense currently is the only thing they would need to address in order to make them a real contender in the playoffs. So their New Year's resolution will be to make it out of the first round, although their playoff spot ain't guaranteed yet. I fully believe that these guys will find themselves battling for the Lord Stanley once all is said and done. But for sure, it ain't going to be a walk in the park. Next up, the Canes. For the Canes, much like the Flames, there ain't too much to think about when it comes to their future. The team is in win-now mode, and the next two playoffs are going to be crucial for the organization going forward. They've been to the playoffs already, but now they need to put those lessons into use and make most of the chances they are given with their hard work. Plain and simple, the promise for them will be to advance to the finals since the core is strong enough and goaltending hasn't been erratic so far. So nothing else is acceptable in North Carolina. Short and simple, let's move to Chicago. The Hawks are up next and currently in the 14th spot in the conference and looking more like to be heading towards a rebuild than the playoffs by a large margin. Most players rocking with over minus 10 plus minus column and only 7 players have been able to grab at least 10 points so far while the goaltending has been atrocious throughout the season. Like this was pretty much expected or at least to me, it was pretty clear, and you can check that from the season previews, that this team was going to face an uphill battle this year, and the Seth Jones deal didn't make much sense in the wide spectrum. I'll admit that he's been productive, there's no denying that, but his defensive game is quite awful to be honest, and if you are expected to be the torch carrier in defense, I would at least expect a solid contribution in the other end as well, but seems like he was acquired for his offense. I would like to see how many teams would be willing to trade him at this point since I can assure you that if they want to start their rebuild, it has to start with Patty Kane, and I've already addressed this situation in a previous episode, so if you want to hear my thoughts on this, go check out the pre-break rundown. Flurry will be leaving in the deadline at the latest, there's no doubt about it, and it shouldn't be too hard to deal some of their other assets elsewhere, since they don't have a plethora of young promising talents on their pipeline. 
And as you probably know at this point, you build up from drafts and since they've been contenders for many years now, it has taken a toll on their prospect pipeline. And so that should be the priority number one. Tough choice ahead, but like I said, there might not be many other possibilities available since most of the core players from previous Stanley Cup rosters are dealt elsewhere already. So the band-aid is already off. Plan for the future is the best you can do at this point because for sure you ain't seen the playoffs this spring. So make good use of it. There are real gems in the next two drafts. What the Canes promised just a minute ago also suits for this team in Denver because nothing else than cup matters at this point. The first line has started to punish the opposing teams. Kale Makar is having a Norris caliber year and Nazem Kadri is on his way to plus 100 point season. So what else could you expect? Well, the goaltending hasn't been absolutely bulletproof, but there is a way to change that. And I mean, Kemper isn't from the worst end either, so you could do a whole lot of worse. Like, for example, look at their previous tendy in Seattle. Worst starter in the league currently. And okay, he's bouncing back slowly, but still. It's a cup or bust for the next two years for them. And I don't need to address it too much since everyone with an internet access is able to see that. Did I make my point clear? Great, let's head to Ohio. The Jackets are right on their course as they retool their roster piece by piece. Some youngsters have already stepped into their lineup and goaltender Daniel Tarasov has impressed in the few starts he's had. Their young core is slowly taking its shape, while few future pieces could be added to bring competition to the table. It will be interesting to see which players take the leader roles on their squad, since currently there doesn't seem to be a real number one guy in sight, besides last year's first round pick, Ken Johnson. Like, I mean, Tessier, Sillinger, Foodie, Laine, Voronkov, Chinahov, Marchenko, Boquist, Bean, Peak, Swazil, Kulemans, and Tarasov is seriously a strong core for the future, but who will be the number one guy on this team is still in the air. If I had to guess their next captain, it would be an easy choice in Zach Wierenski, but hopefully you get what I mean by this question. So the promise for this year would be to stay on course and build within the organization to bring confidence and experience to the table once the players are ready to take that step. I think that's well enough said, so let's head to Texas. The stars on the other hand are somewhere in the middle where no one is able to make sense if they are a fish or a bird. Similar roster is still intact than the years prior where the depth is heavily focused on the defensive side of the puck and the team is relying on their top two lines to bring the offense. Unfortunately, either of those really happen. I mean, the first line of Robertson, Hintz and Pavelski has done their part, but when it comes to the second line, complete sack of potatoes. Sagan, Ben and Radulov have completely disappeared 
And once again, I discussed this issue in the prior episode, so I won't go any deeper into this matter. And while we're at it, let's add Guriano's name in that pod as well. Nowhere to be found. So really, I don't know where to go with this team. Like, they got their future pieces in place. Robertson, Hintz and Borg up top. Heiskanen, Harley in defense and Odinger in goal, but... The supporting cast is really questionable at this stage. And why didn't I mention Klingberg? Well, he's most likely off the roster before summer, so there's that. I don't count on them having enough to make it into the playoffs, so I would say deciding on their future once again would be the best for the entire franchise at this stage. Since seemingly this group of players isn't ready to fight for the Lord Stanley. So very much similar situation as in Chicago, a bit better I would say, but still some soul searching is needed in Dallas. Well, this will be quick and easy because Stevie Y knows what he's doing, so just keep going with your rebuild. Now your enemy is just time. Since you have all the assets needed to climb back on top as one of the most dominant franchises in the NHL. Next up, Edmonton. Why you guys have to repeat your damn mistakes year after year? Don't you get that you have one of the best players in your organization that has ever laced up the skates? And I don't mean Chris Russell. You would think that the Oilers would have at least been to the conference finals since drafting Mac Jesus, but... The cold hard fact is that they've only made the playoffs twice, twice, since drafting the Phenom in 2015. That's absolutely banana lands. The same problems keep surfacing each year, and somehow they just can't figure out how to assemble a team that could challenge for the cup. Of course the organization is suffering from the decisions that former GM Peter Chiarelli made, but... Still, there is something lacking in their big chair office. At this point, I'm more than sure that Connor is starting to get fed up with the situation similar to Jack Eichel, so it wouldn't come as a surprise to me to see this player leaving in a year or two if they don't actually address these constant issues that the team is suffering with year in and year out, which are bad goaltending and lack of depth. And how they've performed recently, I would be happy if they make the playoffs. But since I expect that to happen, the New Year's resolution for them would be to make the changes needed to make this team competitive. Since now you have invested big bucks in McDavid, Drysaddle, Nurse, Nuge and Hyman. So now you have to start paying attention or this whole mess might fall apart. That's all I have to say for them, so let's head to the south, and more specifically, Florida. Pretty much similar statement than the one from the Avs, win-now mode for the next two years. Playoffs are the only thing that matters. Roster is in place, so let's go and get it. Short and simple, next up, LA. What would the Kings want? I mean... They got pretty much the buns in the oven for the future. Prospect depth up top is very strong, and defense might even be stronger, so I would say 
adding an elite element to their crease would be the next step. With this kind of overflow of capable prospects, you should be able to trade for that asset if need be. Peterson has been very shaky this year, so I wouldn't bet the whole house on his success, but other than that, I don't see many other weaknesses for the organization. Timing is key once again, but especially the future center depth is just off the charts. So they could easily be a contender in two years and battle with Detroit for the Stanley Cup if everything goes to plan. But before that, elite goalie after Quick's reign is the biggest need, so that would be their New Year's resolution in my mind. And while speaking of slow, I might as well give him some praise to get one pigeon off my back. He's been tremendous this season and looking like a flashback version of himself from a couple years back when the Kings were actually contenders. Off to Minnesota. Once again, no huge holes in their game and Bill Guerin is the person responsible for their success, plain and simple. He's made some bold moves, but that's exactly why he was appointed to his current role. And quite frankly, it has paid dividend even with somewhat mid-tier roster, if you count out Kirill Kaprizov. Furthest they've been in the playoffs is conference finals in 2003, so the resolution for them would be a long playoff stand, and conference finals should be the first target to aim for. I have my doubts about that, but we've seen what defensively sound teams have been able to do in the playoffs in recent years, so that shouldn't be just a wet dream for them this year. But we'll see what actually happens. Now, let's head back across the border. My god, what have you done to my Canadians? The mediocrity has finally reached its final, and now you are the laughingstock of the entire league. I mean... This was very much expected before the season started, but I can't say that it doesn't hurt. The bright spot here is that they got a ton of prospects coming up their ranks, so the hope still lives. But this season is a pipe dream, and sooner it ends, the better. Shane Wright is the target this year, but the question still remains, what are they going to do with this current roster? Price's comeback is inevitable. Or at least I would hope so, but how much more does he have in store when you look at his injury history? Fortunately, the next GM will start with a relatively clean slate as most not-so-beneficial contracts end this year, so he can figure out the moves he wants to make with the alleviated cap space. Interesting times ahead for the organization, so all I can do is hope that they find suitable person to lead the team and that the prospects will slowly start to make their way to the big league, because the assets surely are there for the future. Promise for this year? I got two. Quite simply, win the draft lottery, and hire competent GM in the meantime. Easy as that. Lots of question marks, but I believe that we will have answers to these once the new boss is announced. I digress. Did I already talk about somewhat mediocre roster making the playoffs? Because I surely feel like it. To me, this team has already surpassed the expectations set for them with flying colors, so 
whatever is ahead of them wouldn't surprise me. Saros is a steel wall in their crease and the veterans on board have found another gear somewhere. And if you ask me, this team shouldn't be nowhere near the place they currently are. But somehow that is the reality and I just have to accept it. For some odd reason, I just have this spider sense tingling in my ass that warns me about their future. And especially when you see how many games Jose Saros has already played. He's been their backbone and quite honestly Riddick just can't win them games. So I don't want to jinx it but I just have a bad feeling about this. And we are about to see a real melting during the second part of the season. Don't come at me if that happens but somehow I just have a feeling that the nerve they've hit is bound to become numb. And they are either going to fall out of the playoffs or get smashed in the first round. This could be a reverse jinx as well. So as a resolution for these guys would be to prove me wrong and make the conference finals with this team. And once that happens, I promise to order Ryan Johansson's jersey. You have my word. Let's head to New Jersey. Jersey has taken some strides to become a competitive bunch this year, but still they have big holes in defense that slow down their progress. Overall, a young team in the middle of a rebuild has pipeline filled with promising names, so if they get their defense game in check, they could be a challenger in no time. And while Subban and Severson aren't the most profound defensemen defensively, the problem seems to stem from their defensive structure and coaching since it has been going on for years now. I'm not denying the fact that this team is lacking good two-way pivots, but I also wouldn't say that their game style benefits their defensive numbers one bit. Once they get Subban's 9 million contract off the books, they could invest in defensive help for the upcoming season since now they got their top pairing D-man, Hamilton, Smith, Severson and Graves in place but if I was their GM I would consider the chance of trading away Severson because even though he's been good offensively his defensive numbers have always been lackluster so without selling out on Severson I would test the waters and maybe try to lure in defensemen from the free agency to replace him. Luke Hughes is coming along nicely so until he's ready to take that spot I would look for someone to fill that hole in their defense. Offense is looking quite strong and some guys are already making their way to the big league and with the emergence of Dawson Mercer they've cut down the rebuilding time so next year at least will be a meaningful for the whole organization's future. I wouldn't count them out of the playoff picture yet because of Philly's awful season but until they sort out their defense I don't see them in the playoffs so as their new year's resolution, let's say that figure out your defense for the next season and I will be more than happy. Thank you. Next up, Long Island. Have I told you guys that you are making me look foolish with my statement made before the season? Mm-hmm. The one where I told that you guys were going to be in the finals against the Avs. Talk about a joke. 
Well, at least you've started to fight your way back to the top, but still it ain't looking too bright for you guys. The injury certainly made a dent to your game, but seemingly the Barry Trotz hype has died down a bit because he doesn't have similar firepower on display than he had in Washington. Don't get me wrong, they still have a capable roster, but in order to fight their way to the playoffs from this position, you would need more than just Kyle Palmieri's beard to achieve that. Jara looks washed. Palmieri has only 7 points through 25 games and minus 11 total. Beauvillier is having a real down year and Andersley hasn't found his offensive touch from the years past. In addition, Ryan Pulock's offensive numbers have dropped drastically, so currently the defensive side has really stuck to their guns because you can't find too much offense from this squad. Both goaltenders have been fantastic, so the only promise they need to make for this year is to improve their offense, and with that, they could have a small chance of finding the playoffs, but at this point, it could be between a rock and a hard place when looking at their competition. Not good, but better. Let's head to downtown New York. The Rangers have things going for them and it doesn't hurt to have the best goaltender in the league. The big names are leading the way while we are still waiting for the young guard to make an impact and I still believe that if they want to have a long spring, those guys need to step up. It's just not enough if only your top six is able to provide on a nightly basis. Their defense has been strong and as said, goaltending isn't the problem. So quite simply, what I need from them this year is better contributions from Kakko, Lafreniere, Hiddle and Miller. So if you could promise me that, we could continue with the next milestone. Conference finals would be good as well, but more so I'm expecting improvement from those young guys. Senator's New Year's resolution, get someone to run the organization because Melnick is going to drive you off the cliff. Nothing else is needed. Big thanks to you all. When it comes to Philadelphia, I'm going to keep it simple as well. Get your sh** together. That's the resolution I want to see. You may proceed. Well, while you're doing so well, let's shoot for the stars, am I right? Stanley Cup would be an awesome accomplishment for the squad, but in order to do so, their goaltending just can't melt like it did last year. There's no way around it. Jari has been excellent this year, and once Gino comes back to their lineup, they should become even more lethal than they already are. So the New Year's resolution for the Pens is going to be to not let me down after such a strong comeback. Jari, keep your head and make the finals. Deal? Awesome. Possibly the last Ura from Gino and Sid as a complete unit, so let's head to see how much gas they got in their tanks. Next up, the Sharks. When it comes to Sharks' season, I mean, they're not out of the playoff picture, but that court just isn't good enough to fight for the Stanley Cup. Or if you think that way, you must be on some low-carb diet. 
quite honestly, I don't even get how they've been this good so far, but now that the Canucks seem to have figured their things out, I would expect them to surpass the Sharks and leave them out of the playoff picture sooner rather than later. Their roster is in similar situation as Chicago and Dallas, but as long as they got the three giant contracts on their books, the situation isn't as one-sided as they would hope. They are not clear contenders, but neither they are the bottom feeders, so really complex situation for the organization as a whole. All they could promise is to get the best possible return from Hurdle on the deadline and start focusing on your future because the core is aging and the big deals are really slowing down your rebuild. So only some kind of magic would make them competitive again. Next up, Seattle. Season is pretty much over already, so promise me that you try to get the best possible return for your assets on the deadline and start focusing on the entry draft. Could you do that? Mega. Let's head to St. Louis. At this point, the Blues are most likely bound for the playoffs and the team looks as cohesive as it did a few years back when they won the Cup. Ivan Barbashev has been their bright spot on offense and players lifted up from the minors have compensated nicely the absences of their core players. Tarasenko has proved doubters wrong with his play and this team currently looks like a contender that is seeking for a long playoff stay. So for the Blues, their New Year's resolution is to repeat their 2019 playoff run, simple as that. They have tough competition in front of them and one of their biggest rivals is up ahead next, so let's head to see what the back-to-back champs have in store for us. The Bolts don't seem to slow down even after the departures of some of their key core members from the depth positions. They've been replaced and the top guns are as good as one would expect, so what else did you even expect? Iserman built this organization to succeed and now Julian Brisbois is just collecting the fruits of his labor. I mean, what else can you expect from this team than the three-peat? So it is easy to come up with their resolution, making it back to back to back. And for Kuch, stay healthy for the remainder of the season. That's all I ask. Off to Toronto. For the Leafs, there's only one thing that they could do to make the fans around the world happy. And that's advancing through the first round of the playoffs. Not too much asked, if you ask me. That is their boogeyman. And like I said in the season previews, nothing else than the playoff success matters. So that will be the measuring stick for the franchise this year. And if they end up failing once again, well, one of the core members will be out by the end of the summer. And that's a promise. Most likely Marner, but you didn't hear that from me. I don't hesitate to say that. The resolution is to make it out of the first round. So if you are not able to do that, you will be the biggest failure franchise that I've seen in my entire lifetime and will be until another organization takes that title away from you. Doesn't seem like an insurmountable obstacle to get through, so please make it happen. 
I'm begging you. I don't know how much longer I can take this anymore. We will see what happens once the playoffs start, but until then, put it on a neutral and cruise towards the postseason. No stress until then. Well, now you have raised the expectations with your recent performances, and finally, you are looking like a competitive team, even though there's still a lot to hope for in Pedersen's and Besser's outputs. At this point, all we can hope from you is that you make the playoffs, because like with the Leafs, I'm pretty done with this mess you have gotten yourself into. So to conclude the resolution, playoffs are almost a factory promise, but don't get too carried away with their recent performances. I believe in the process, so hopefully they don't let me down. Let's head to Vegas. Cup or bust. Same thing with the Capitals. Ovechkin is doing his thing and the supporting cast is there to help him while the goaltending has been quite solid so far. The core is intact, so the achievement will be enough and that will be another cup for the nation's capital. So let's head to our last team of this episode. The Jets started their season coughing, but as of late have started to look more like themselves and for me at least, it looks like this team will fight for the last remaining playoff spots in the West. Hellebuck is still an elite level goaltender and the big boys Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler have picked up the pace from their slow starts, so at least in my mind, this is a surefire playoff team. The New Year's resolution for them will be a trip to the finals since they've made it to the conference finals twice, but lost both times, so now it should be the time to turn that tide once for all. Those were all the New Year's resolutions for all the teams, so we just have to wait and see which organizations are able to keep their promises and which fail to do so. This was a fun episode to make, and as I stated in the start of the episode, be prepared to hear some UFC coverage in the next coming weeks. But that's pretty much it for this week, and since it is still quite new detail on Spotify, I kindly ask you to rate this podcast. It will only take you two seconds to do so, but it will help me out tremendously. So thank you already in advance. Hopefully you've had a good start to the new year, and I hope that even better things are in place for the future. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and even more so... Have an awesome week, my friend. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. All right.